can get started, right? Okay. <laughs> amen and amen. Good evening. Good evening, Central Park Baptist Church. Oh, we can do better than that. Good evening, Central Park Baptist Church. Amen, amen. We're so excited to be here this evening. Now, if you're able to rest upon your feet, we'd like for you to join us in singing hymn 587, hymn 587. Amen and amen. That'll be our opening hymn. We'll have a word of prayer immediately afterwards. Hymn 587. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing that it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy, mercy, there was great and grace was free, pardon, there was multiplied to me, there my burden so fell By God's word at last my sin I learned Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned Till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Lord and there was multiplied Your soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy, there was great and grace was free. Pardon, there was nothing by to me. Never heard of so far liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation. Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Father, that even now, Lord, we're just in the midst of a good time, Lord, and by way of your Holy Spirit, Father. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this gathering. We thank you, Lord, for this opening night of uh, this uh, Missions Emphasis Week, Lord, and of this conference, Father. Father, we pray, Lord, that you just uh, bless the preaching of your word and bless these uh, beloved people, Father, who've come to, to hear from you and to sing praises to your name. May you be glorified, Father, in all that we do. It is in the name of Jesus we ask. Amen and amen. amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Please uh, remember uh, this week to read your bulletins. There's the, all the information for the week and next week is in there. You don't want to miss it, all right? If you miss it, it's because you didn't read it, okay? 
Uh, y'all shake y'all's head this way so I'll know you're listening to me. Uh, so please pick that up and read it. Also, I want you to make sure that you have some of the information for mission conference this week. Uh, there's a, a pamphlet that talks to you about Faith Promise Missions. We've also got some booklets out here that uh, also have the schedule for the week on it. Uh, it has, tells you who's preaching. It has a bio in there uh, about everybody but Brother Miller. You know, we left him out on purpose. So, uh, But read these, okay? And uh, But you'll pick one up. It's also got some uh, uh, booklets out there for sermon notes if you want to take some notes. I, these preachers probably say something that you want to, you know, remember. So pick up some of those notes and write those down. And then also remember to pick up a, a, a faith promise card, okay? Again, see our ushers here in just a little while about that, and they will give you one of these. Uh, if you do not have one, want you to have one, pray about what God would have you to do this week uh, or this year for Faith Promise Missions, uh, and then you'll tear off this the small side, keep it, uh, or excuse me, turn the small side in and keep the big side, all right? If the amount that God's spoken to you about giving is not on here, write it in and average it for the week. Some folks only give for a month, uh, once a month, which is fine, but average it out, please, for the week so that we can make out our weekly budget on that. And then Sunday, we'll be taking up uh, the Faith Promise cards uh, for the year. Uh, also remember, uh, we have meals for you tomorrow night and Friday night, and then we'll have lunch again uh, Sunday afternoon. So if you're not signed up, please sign up uh, on the sign-up sheet out here in the foyer. And all God's people can say... Amen. Now, the one thing we've already done, one thing that we like to do as Baptists, that's eat. Amen. And now we're going to do the next thing that we, if you don't like it, then you ought to like it. We're going to take up an offering. Amen. Amen. And uh, so uh, we'll have a word of prayer. And as we pray, Brother Will is going to play. And then Millers, y'all come on up. And as soon as we get through the offering, y'all just sing for us. Okay. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Uh, I'm thankful, God, for the opportunity that you've given us, Lord, to start our mission conference tonight. I pray your blessing upon Brother Williams as he preaches, Lord. And, uh, God, I pray that your hand of liberty will be upon him. Lord, he and I talked a while ago, and he's, uh, Lord, not preached much in English. So, Lord, I just pray that you'd give him liberty and, and uh, to preach. And, Lord, say those things, God, that we need as a people. And so... Uh, Lord, just um, use them in a special way. Bless this offering, Lord, as well. Bless the Millers as they sing. And God, I pray that this will just be the beginning of something wonderful for the cause of Christ. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have an offering, you please come.
and uh, it's, uh, we, we see a lot of churches, but uh, this church is special to us, and your pastor is special to us. We were in a church not long ago called First Church of the Rainbow.
Sometimes this world doesn't feel so much like home When life seems so hopeless and we feel so alone Then we beg for a blessing and when God gives us one We forget what he's already done Thank God for preachers and Sunday school teachers and mamas
And that's pretty good, amen? Now, they could sing It's Under the Blood every day. You know, I don't, I, that's a, I like that song. That'll make, if, if, if that don't make you happy, your wood's wet. Uh, I'm, that's a good song, Brother Steve. Thank you. Well, it's good to have Brother Mrs. Williams with us. Brother Williams, why don't you go ahead and come? I don't want to uh, take up his time, but I want him to come tonight. He's going to preach for us. And please remember now, Brother uh, Ward's going to be preaching tomorrow night. Brother Miller's going to be preaching for us. Uh, Friday night, and then Brother Sharon will preach for Sunday morning. So you don't want to miss any of these speakers. So please, let me encourage you. Don't try to be here. Just be here. Amen. Amen. Come here, Brother Williams. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. Yeah. (laughs) That was great. And I need to do something with this. We're glad to be here. We appreciate the opportunity to participate in the conference. We've been given to Faith Promise Missions for 55 years, so thereabouts. Amen. And the Lord is gracious, never missed a month. <clears throat> and uh, uh, we have been able to grow in the grace of giving, and we're grateful for giving. Uh, and it's wonderful what the Lord can do through giving. Right. Yeah. Okay. But the church has been helping us for... 50, right at 53 years now, yeah. Gloria wants you to know that she's not that old, that she was 15 when we went to the mission field. (laughs) I'm afraid I'm that old. But but anyway, uh, it's been great, been faithful, uh, supporting us, and we're, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us we're partners together in uh, Philippians, the fourth chapter uh, from about verse 10 on through. It's a missionary prayer letter is what it is there. And he said, not that, not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The scriptures teaches that we have an account in heaven. Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasure, not up on earth, but in heaven. And, uh, and uh, the apostle Paul says, uh, I... I'm receiving the offering, and it's producing fruit for your account. Right. Yeah. And uh, one day, I believe, one day we'll see the results of our giving. We'll see the results of our praying. I believe that one day that we will, there's going to be a lot of time in heaven, it looks like. A lot of time, eternity is a long time. <clears throat> and uh, uh, I believe it's something that I've been thinking for years. I've never heard anybody preach on it. it may, it's not in the Bible. But anyway, but anyway, I think we're going to get to meet uh, all those people from all these countries around the world where our missionaries have gone and been supported, and they've received the Lord Jesus Christ, and one day we're going to meet them. Uh, one day we're going to meet them, and we will rejoice even greater uh, at that time. So it's good to be here, and we especially enjoy the music. Uh, I'm going to be speaking a little bit about uh, we need more missionaries. And I was thinking earlier, well, who am I going to preach to? And now I see the possibility of, uh, uh, yeah, they already will be speaking Spanish in just a little while, the ones that are not. And uh, we need some more music in Peru. Okay. And, uh, yeah. And uh, I went to Mexico before I went to Peru. I went to language school. Yeah, okay. And as soon as they all learn the language, we'll come up and, uh, well, I better leave that alone. <laughs> He's bigger than I am. Okay, I know. Yeah. Uh, this is Gloria. This is my better half. I almost said bigger half, but that's not so. But 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know where I don't know where that came from, uh, but. <laughs> She's still going to share testimony. Yep. Okay, she's going to share testimony <laughs> right now. One of the things that thrills my heart when we come back to the States is being able to share with the people in the churches the things that you have helped us do. And that sharing in the sharing a testimony about one of the young ladies that God brought into our life through our college. Oliver was the director of our Bible college in Peru for 45 years. And during those years, both of us taught. Most of the time, I taught the very first day of the year, every year to the first-year students. And uh, it was my joy and privilege then to know them through that period of time. Let me tell you about Isabel. Isabel came to us from a church that we had already received students from, and she had been influenced by her Sunday school teacher that she was a helper to in her church. Isabel came to Lima. She was not from Lima, the capital city. She was from the mountains, high in the Andes. Her mother and father sent her to Lima to be live-in help when she was 12. So she, one day, I guess it was probably her third year in school, and we had watched Isabel grow, and we had watched her blossom. When she came into school, Rosa, the secretary of the school, would take her into her office every afternoon, and she would work with her, teaching her to write legibly enough that the professors could read her work. So we're the third year. And I'm listening to Isabel's testimony about how she came to the Lord. In that house that she was a servant girl in, she told us that day in class, she said, I nearly starved to death the first month I was there because the lady of the house would fix my plate of food. She would leave it in the kitchen for me to eat and she would leave, and I was sitting there staring at this thing on the plate that I had no idea what it was. It was a fork. I did not know how to use a fork because I had never eaten with anything but a spoon. Finally, that was resolved. Isabel was invited to church. She went. She got saved. By the time that she was 16, she was a helper in a Sunday school class, and then she came to the seminary when she was 18. So Isabel is one of those people that you think, oh, I'm so glad she's saved, and I'm so glad that she's come to the seminary, and 
I wonder what she will do now. Maybe she'll find a good husband. She didn't. She went south of Lima and lived with a family for two years in a little area that had no church. And Isabel had been down there to visit and she was burdened by the fact that there was no church, but she knew she couldn't start a church, couldn't preach. So she went down and did the only thing that she knew how to do. She started a children's ministry and taught kids and young girls. Then she came back to Lima and she came one day after she had been back in Lima for about a year and she said, hermana, sister, I'm going to the mission field. And I said, where? And she said, I'm going to Mozambique. I said, Mozambique, Africa? Yes. Okay. And she told me the story. First, I'll go to Brazil and I'll learn Portuguese. And then from there, I'll go to Mozambique. Okay. And I'll be back in a year after I've learned the language. And I'll talk to you before I go to Africa. All right. A year later, she came back and she said, I'm not going to Mozambique. And I said, what happened? She said, there was a couple in the language school and the cultural development school that I was in that are going to a little tiny country in West Africa called Guinea-Bissau. They speak Portuguese. And God has burdened me to go and work with them. And the director of the school called me in about four months ago and said, Isabel, they're telling me that you're not going to Mozambique, that you're going to Guinea-Bissau. Is that really what you want to do? Isabel, do you understand? Do you understand how backward that place is? She said, I do. He said, please, Isabel, just pray about it. I'll pray with you for three months. And after three months, if you still want to go, then we will work the plans. Three months, she comes back in, and he sits down, and he says, Isabel, what are you going to do? Are you going to Mozambique now? She said, nope, I'm going to Guinea-Bissau. And he said, Isabel... Do you understand that you're going to live in a house that has no plumbing? It has no running water. The facilities there are absolutely rustic. You can't believe. And she said, she looked at me and she said, I nearly laughed when he said that. I thought, you're talking about where I grew up. But instead of that, she said, no, I'm going because God made me for Guinea-Bissau. So every month now, 
I get a letter from Isabel, and always in that letter, there is a beautiful picture of this little Peruvian girl standing in the midst of a sea of beautiful, beautiful black faces. Now, this little girl that couldn't write when she came to Bible college, she is teaching teachers workshops all over that little country. It's one of those, you can't get there from here except God. And you were part of that. And you're going to meet Isabel and all of her little kids and ladies and young girls from Guinea-Bissau when we get to heaven. There, almost the end of our video presentation, there's a quick picture of Isabel with a group of Sunday school kids there. That they'll get a shot of her. Gloria talked, she sent a voice message last week, yeah. And she's happy as she can be uh, doing the, the work of the Lord there and has great, great results. We have a video of about seven minutes, and we'd like to see the, the video at this time. We are Oliver and Gloria Williams, Baptist Bible Fellowship missionaries to Peru for 52 years. Our home has always been in Lima, the capital city, located on the Pacific coast and now has a population of 11 million. To us, the Great Commission has meant church planning and preparing pastors, workers, and missionaries to lead those churches. After establishing five churches in Lima, in the year 2000, the Lord burdened us to help graduates start churches in five towns across the Andes on a highway leading into the central jungle of Peru. The only Baptist church in the area was one meeting in a borrowed building. Over the next 15 years, the Lord called graduates to the area, and now there are churches or missions in all five towns, and we were able to help purchase property and build buildings in three of those towns. We began working with the Baptist Bible Seminary of Lima in 1972. In 1976, I became the director and was director for 45 years. Our purpose at the seminary was always to prepare pastors and workers and missionaries who will follow God's call wherever He leads them. The seminary has always been a focal point for our fellowship of churches. The annual Four Saturday Soccer Championship has brought as many as 32 churches together. It's a time of fun and fellowship. On November 1st, which is a national holiday, we have a day-long activity for young people emphasizing missions. The morning is dedicated to an inter-church Bible quiz and two messages challenging the young people to give their lives to the Lord. In the afternoon, we have an inter-church volleyball tournament. We've had as many as 700 young people attend this activity every year. We also have conferences, Sunday school workshops, and even weddings. Our graduating seniors mission trip each year 
to work with the church in the interior of the country has a twofold purpose. It provides the church with help in ministry from the students and gives the students a greater vision for ministry. The Chion River, a shallow water river, flows from the Andes Mountains and passes about 100 yards behind the seminary. In March 2017, there were continual heavy rains in the Andes. One afternoon, something caused an obstruction in the river, sending a strong current flow against our side of the river. In less than 12 hours, the river had cut across the cornfield behind us, washed away 150 feet of our back wall, destroyed three buildings, and covered our water well for two weeks. Our graduates and pastors rallied to the cause, and classes at the seminary began on time in April of that year. We're grateful that the Lord has provided to replace everything but the chapel building. Over the years, we have had over 500 graduates from the seminary. There are graduates serving in more than 40 churches in the Lima metropolitan area. And outside of Lima, we have graduates in the Upper Marañón River Basin, the jungle city of Pulcalpa and Iquitos, and along the rivers. Chiclayo, Cajamarca, Juanguera Tarapoto, Guaraz, Barranca, Changay, Perovillo, Sosica, Tarma, San Ramon, La Merced, Pichinaki, Satipo, Oxapampa, Villarica, Ica, Asia, Chincha, Andahuales, Apurimac, Ayacucho, Majes, Cusco, Pisac, and Puerto Maldonado. We also have graduates in the United States, Brazil, Argentina, Bolivia, Venezuela, London, India, Guinea-Bissau, West Africa, and in Thailand. In 2015, on the 50th anniversary of the seminary, we received a Peruvian congressional recognition for 50 years of service in Peru. A declaration was read in Congress and a reception was given for our students and professors in one of the congressional reception halls. In 2020, due to the lockdown for the pandemic, our son-in-law, David Lyles, set up virtual platforms for our seminary classes, and classes were all virtual until April 2022. Classes are now offered on campus, virtually, and online. In December 2021, at the graduation ceremony, I passed the direction of the seminary to David, who has so ably led the seminary through the transition. We're excited about what God is doing through David and Tanya in the seminary and for the future. We've participated in our summer camp ministry since arriving in Lima. For 46 years, we rented facilities for our camps. For 30 years, we prayed and looked for land to buy to build our own camp. And in 2011, the Lord made it possible to buy seven choice acres for our own camp. In 2017, we began building the first stage of the camp. On January the 1st, 2019, we began our camp program at New Hope. Now we have a camp program for every age group in our churches. This year, as of July 2022, we have had a total of 1,800 people in the camp facilities. 
In August 2022, we began construction of an additional building to house 24 workers on the second half of the property. Peru is an open door and a ripe harvest field for the gospel. We're grateful for the 50 years God has given us in Peru and for the wonderful dedicated pastors and churches with whom we work. Would Would you you consider coming and joining our team? You're very gracious. We're, we're glad that the Lord has permitted us to go and, and to stay a while. And uh, we're uh, willing to stay as long as he would have us to stay. Amen. We're willing to come back when he would have us to come back. Amen. And we desire to know the will of God uh, in these things. Some days we say, let's go, and then other days never. Uh, so the Lord will, will guide us <clears throat> in that. We still have good health. Uh, we're not getting any younger, but we we still uh, we can still walk good, and uh, nobody's had knee surgery or anything yet, not not yet, and uh, but we're happy to do what the Lord would have us to do there. If you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four, and we'll be seeing some verses from there uh, this evening. I mentioned we were talking, want to talk or emphasize the need for more missionaries. I believe our greatest need in missions is more missionaries. We find that God has promised to supply our need as we serve him, and we've seen God supply in so many wonderful ways, And uh, but we need people that are willing to go, willing to go and stay a while and to, and to serve the Lord uh, there in the country, in the place that God would call them, have them to go. Uh, but it seems like uh, the number of missionaries is, grow- is going down. And I don't want to be pessimistic. We believe that God still calls missionaries. He's still calling missionaries, and we're grateful for that. But a few years ago, uh, the Baptist Bible Fellowship had missionaries in 120 countries. Uh, Recently, we received a letter from the director, and it says, and now we have missionaries in only 80 countries. Now, many of those countries, we only had one family or two families, uh, something like that. Uh, But in the other groups that are there, uh, we see the, the numbers going down. But at the same time, we're grateful. We've had over 500 graduates from the Bible school. Our guys do the ministry. They start churches. They have mission conferences. They, uh, they do all the directing at our, at our camp facilities. And I'm working with four of our main pastors that are involved in camp uh, to be in charge, be responsible for the camp for the future uh, and uh, the Lord has given us a good piece of property, a good camp facility, and we have camp for the whole, the whole, ch- whole church, shall we say, every age group. Uh, there's camp. It's a time where we can get the people away from the things of the world, and we can teach them the Word of God three or four or five times a day, right. and, it, and, it re- and we get good results out of it. Uh, when the Word is taught, uh, the Lord is glorified, and... Uh, uh, we're grateful for that part of the ministry that we have there in Peru. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read verse number 1, just the first verse. <clears throat> I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith 
your call, that you walk worthy of the vocation with that you are called. As Christians, we are to walk worthy of, of our calling, uh, our vocation. We'll, we'll be using the word calling uh, in this sense tonight. The word used here for calling refers to a heavenly calling. It's a calling by God. It's a calling from God. It's a, it's a, it's a calling to follow him and to serve him. Now, Paul is writing to the church, uh, to Christian people. They've accepted the grace of God. Uh, they seem to be growing, listening to him, uh, talking to them, writing to them. Uh, they're part of the family of God. And he's saying because they're Christians, they should walk worthy of being called a Christian. They should walk worthy of being called a Christian. We should be walk worthy of being called a Christian uh, also. Walking worthy of our calling implies service. Implies service. Yeah. The New Testament teaches that being a Christian involves the responsibility of service. And in a moment Bible reading just in the last two or three months, I've seen it time after time uh, where it says that, uh, that teaches that there should be true evidence of salvation uh, if one is saved in service. We should know by their works uh, whether they are saved or not. Of course, we don't judge their salvation in that respect. But time after time, the New Testament teaches that the true evidence of salvation is service. And not just service in an, uh, in an ordinary sense, but the scriptures teach sacrificial service. Sacrificial service uh, to the Lord. The verse in Luke 9.23, a familiar verse. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. A well-known verse. He says, if you're going to come after me, I'll ask here two things. And, of course, there's other things that he asks us of also. But he says, if you're going to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does deny yourself mean? Uh, for a simple definition, I put stop doing what you want to do with your life and do what the Lord wants to do with your life, you know. Uh, he expects us to respond wholeheartedly to, to him. Stop doing what you want to do and do what the Lord Jesus wants to do. Uh, as a 15-year-old, I grew up in church, and I'm grateful for that, but I already had a plan what I was going to do. One of, Part of my plan was to be the youngest deacon in the history of that church. You know, I wanted to serve the Lord. Yeah. I was going to go to work at International Paper Company. I had a, an uncle that was a supervisor over there. He made good money for for our neighborhood anyway, he made good money. And I want to be a supervisor at International Paper Company. And I want to be the youngest deacon uh, that the church has ever had. And there's a house out on Highway 45 that I want to buy. The house is still out there and the paper bill is still there. That house had, was full of lead painting and they, they can't do anything with it. And I've never wanted to be a deacon again uh, since then. Yeah. Uh, deacons are wonderful starting to say wonderful things to have. They're wonderful people to have uh, uh, around uh, at the same time. Good. But he said, if any man will come after me, deny, your, deny himself. And then he says, take up your cross and follow me. And there he, he talks about denying yourself. He talks about sacrificially uh, giving yourself to the Lord. Pay the price that is necessary. Uh, make the sacrifice that is required like our Lord and Savior did. It, at the camp, the last three years of high school camp, uh, they, they work on it all year. They're online with the, working with it. We have 
two or three of our pastors that are just real good working with a high school age. And uh, every year they include the, na- the word radical in the theme for the week. And uh, Alcayama is the area where our camp is, and it's uh, uh, Spanish, radical, Alcayama radical. Uh, it's, yeah, you got that. She helped me. Okay, but, but uh, they emphasize the need to make a radical decision to separate apart from the world and to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. And it's Alcayama radical. We had a special blessing that I call a special blessing uh, just two weeks ago. The video that we made, that we have presented, it was made by a young man who is in one of our better churches. We say classifying the churches as such. Uh, they run over 500 in, in uh, Sunday school. And uh, his, his name was uh, Alejandro. Uh, seven years ago, Alejandro came to start Bible school. And uh, he had a father that was a great big problem for his mother, for him, for everybody. And his father didn't want him to come to Bible school, and that happens so very often. Uh, they want you to go to the university and get a good job and support me when I'm old is, is part of the attitude that we have done there because they don't have Social Security like some people do at the, at the same time. And uh, his father stayed after him. After one semester, he pulled out. He went to the university. He was faithful in church, working in church. He got a degree in uh, media and videos and doing this type of work. He has a good job. They do all of their stuff online from that church. They have teaching online, and he works with all of that. And uh, he helped us make our video. That's We paved him. Uh, he wanted about $120 for it. The last one that we had made was terrible. It's the worst one we've ever had, and we paid $1,600 for that video, yeah? So we, we gave him 50% extra uh, for, for that. It was, it was a bargain. It was just a bargain. But anyway, we had the, the opportunity to spend time with him about three different times, spent a couple hours with him, and and he went through all the pictures and saw all the ministry and saw all the need. And God, God began to work on his heart uh, again. And he talked about our desire, us being that old, we're, we're nearly ancient, you know. But then, he's 28, so we're that old. Uh, and uh, and uh, he, he was uh, appreciative that we were desirous to continue on and to serve the Lord. And... Uh, they wrote us, our daughter wrote us uh, two weeks ago and said that Alejandro has surrendered to come back to the Bible school, his wife. He has two children. Uh, he has a steady job. Uh, he has finished his studies, but he's going to leave it and he's going to come back to Bible school and he's going to serve the Lord. We're, we're grateful for that. We have a guy that will graduate in December, Daniel. Daniel is from the oldest fellowship church there in Lima that Rudy Johnson started many, many years ago. It's about 65 years old, that, that church. Several years ago, they were without a pastor there. There was some difficulties, and they called me to be the interim pastor. That church was running 600 uh, in Sunday school at that time. It dropped to about 500, uh, but we accepted and went and, and worked with them there. Uh, there was a team of four of the men, men 45, 50 years of age, that worked with me. And I worked with them uh, in looking for a pastor and reestablishing the church, getting things going again. And uh, thank the Lord, everything settled down. And uh, the church is in a tremendous location. The front door is just right off the sidewalk of a main avenue. And there's people walking back and forth there all the time. And when I 
when we passed it on to a pastor every Sunday morning, there'd be three or four people that would be saved uh, coming in off the streets there. But uh, Daniel was one of those four men there. And we had the privilege of calling one of our, our graduates and pastoring. He was doing a good job. And he called me a while back and he said, Daniel wants to come to Bible school. Well, Daniel at that time was about 47, 46, 47 years of age. He says he came to me and talked to me and said uh, that, I wanted, that God was calling me. He wanted to go to Bible school. And he said, are, are you sure? You know, you're, you're this old. Uh, he was a labor, uh, he worked for a construction company as a, as a labor foreman. Uh, they had been buying their condominium. They had more than half of it paid for. Uh, they had two kids in, in uh, Christian school, uh, I believe. And he was a good help in the church. And he says, you sure you want to go to Bible school? And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, what about your wife? He said, well, she wants to go too. And he said, well, bring your wife. He, he doubted the whole time. I would have doubted too. Yeah. I, yeah. And uh, so he said, he, when he called me and told me about it, the pastor, he said uh, his wife came and she was more enthusiastic about it than he was. Yeah. And so they sold their condominium, moved back into the family house. Had, their father has a, a big house there. Uh, and they were able to go back to their part of their inheritance there. And they came to Bible school full time. And they'll be graduating. He and his wife both will be graduating uh, in December. And I don't know what they're going to be doing. I have a good suggestion for him, but I don't know what he's going to be doing. Uh, but <laughs> there's a church down south I want to church. There's a town down south I want to church in. That's, that's what's on my mind. But anyway... <laughs> Anyway, uh, he made a sacrifice that they thought his pastor thought was great uh, to be making. He was willing. And there are some people, by the grace of God, who are willing to say, Lord, hear my sin, me. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And if we'll do what he wants us to do, he'll, we're afraid of the money so many times. Yeah? And I'm glad I don't have to raise support again. I raised it, support in the good old days, I tell you. Yeah? When Faith Promise was just going out. Uh, they told me to raise $900 a month. That was a lot of money in 1969 still. And uh, in 11 months, we had our support raised. And in 12 months, we were in language school in Guadalajara and then in Querétaro in Mexico. And yeah, and then, and then we were on to Peru. Uh, we stayed six years our first term and we stayed five years the next term. And God has blessed us uh, for it. But God is able God is able and he can supply and he can meet every need. We pray, I pray every day of my life for the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors. Of course, when I was connected with the Bible college and we waited. I'm not now, my son-in-law has that privilege. But we still pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth labors into the harvest. In Mark chapter 1, we won't go there, but we have the story of Jesus calling his disciples where he started there with the fishermen. And let me say that when Jesus began calling his disciples, he asked and he expected them to stop what they were doing and do what he wanted them to do. If God calls you, I might be making it a little hard on you, but if God calls you, uh, God expects you to say, here am I, send me, and when do you want me to go? Now, he might, he might say, finish school, or he might say, who knows what he will say. But we should be willing to say, Lord, here am I. Uh, what do you want me to do, and where do, you want me, uh, where do you want me to go? But the Lord started there, and it's recorded in 
uh, Mark chapter 1, and the first four that he called were fishermen. Uh, he saw, it says he saw two fishermen, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting their nets into the sea, uh, for they were fishermen, not preachers. They were fishermen. They were busy. Uh, they were making a living. Uh, Peter had a wife. He had a mother-in-law, the scripture tells us. Probably had some kids. It's possible that he had a mortgage or two also. They did borrow money back in, in those days. But what did Jesus say to him? He said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And I like that, uh, that he was going to make them to become. They were going to learn. It might take a while. But he said, I'll make you to become fishers of men. And how did they answer him? And they didn't say it, well, are you crazy? I've got a wife and I've got some kids and I've got this and I've got the other. But the Lord said, it, the scripture says that, that they immediately left their nets and they followed him. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Then he saw James and John a little bit further down the way in the ship and they were mending their nets it says and he called them and how did they respond I like it too the way that they responded it says they left their father and of course with that they left their mother and they left the ship and they left the hired hands and they went after him when the Lord calls we are to say hear my send me tell me how and tell me when and, and show me the way and I'll do it Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you to become fishers of men. The Lord can teach you to become a fisher of men. He can teach you to teach, and he can teach you to preach, and he can teach you to do anything else that you're going to need to do. The second thing that I want to see is in verse 7, in verse 7 of Ephesians 4. Verse 7 says, <clears throat> but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Once, once more. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure uh, of Christ. He is saying that every one of us as Christians have received a grace, a gift that is a spiritual gift. You might call it a spiritual talent. It's, it's not seeing we're grateful, men, for the singing. We wish everybody could sing like that we heard tonight. But it's a spiritual talent. It's something that you can do for the Lord uh, in the church, for the churches, in ministry, on the mission field. The Bible teaches that every believer has received a unique, personal, spiritual gift at the moment of salvation. The gift was given to you by the Lord Jesus. Your gift was chosen for you personally by him. We are to understand. And your gift should be used to edify the church. First Peter chapter 4, Peter refers to this, uh, this gift. He says, as every man has received a gift, even so minister it to one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Every one, every Christian... Uh, what we understand from the scriptures has received a capacity, an ability uh, to do something to serve the Lord and serve the Lord starting in the church and then working out with the church. We believe in uh, the local church and that God works through uh, the local church as such. We've learned that 
you have a spiritual gift. You may not know what it is. You may need some help in finding out exactly what it is. It was given to you by the Lord Jesus, and it is to be used for his honor and his glory. From there, we'll go to verses 11 through 13, favorite verses of mine uh, that we have here. And he tells us that here he, he speaks of another gift given to the church. The Lord has given spiritual men to the church for leadership. Let's read verses 11 and 12 and 13. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Right. He says that in the church we they had apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. The apostles and prophets are have completed their work. Once in a while uh, a, a pastor, a preacher in the New Testament is called a prophet because he has a prophetic message. He doesn't have a new revelation of anything, but he has a prophetic message and that since he uh, the pastor is a prophet with a prophetic uh, message. But today we have evangelists, missionaries, and we have pastor teachers. And uh, they tell us that the pastor teacher is one person. The pastor is a teacher. We believe that the primary ministry is to teach the church. In verse 12, it says, the pastor teaches for the perfecting of the saints. Uh, Who are the saints? You are the saints. If you've been saved by the grace of God, you are separated unto the Lord. You're holy unto the Lord. Uh, now I belong to Jesus, we sing, and you belong to him if you've received him as Lord and Savior. And uh, he, he tells us that the purpose of this teaching there is for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. The pastor teaches, he takes the saints to maturity if they will come and if they will listen and they will grow spiritually. And then he says he's preparing them for a ministry, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. What he's saying is the pastor teaches and, and teaches you the Christian life and your responsibilities and then you respond by doing the work of the ministry and the church is edified by the member by the membership and we have that as a responsibility uh, to perfect the saints take them to spiritual maturity and then with the gift the spiritual gift that you have you respond and you do the work uh, of the lord let me read two other verses that go along with this in acts 1 8 you know the verse there Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. The occasion is the Lord is fixing to return to his place with the Father to begin his ministry of intercession. And then the scripture teaches that he and the Father uh, sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He is with us. He's gone uh, with us. And he comes to help to teach us how to talk to people about the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes and he's with us and he can teach us. The anointing that we find over in First John has to do with being the teaching ministry 
of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he tells us that the Holy Spirit of God has come to help us to do that. The other verse that I want to use is John 15, 16, another familiar verse that says, the Lord Jesus says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. Uh, our job is to go and to bring forth fruit and our fruit remains when we teach them, when we disciple them. Uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 says uh, that we're to disciple them, teach them. That first teach is, is, is refers to discipling them. And then it says teaching them all things whatsoever commanded you. And we are to win them to the Lord and that's great. But then we have responsibility to see them uh, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord for, for them to be taught to be taught the word of God. And then when we do that he gives us the, the promise of provision, the last part of that 16th verse. He says, if we'll go and we will make, uh, we'll produce fruit and then we will, our fruit will remain because we have taught them, we have discipled them. Uh, he, he says that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. We find that when we serve the Lord and when we are dedicated unto him, uh, when there is a need for the ministry, God responds he responds. That's why I say the greatest need that we have is more missionaries. It's not more money, but bring on the money. That's all right, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the Lord is the one who provides. Uh, we, we teach in the Bible school down there that it says, my God will supply all your needs. And your needs are determined by what you're doing. And if you're not doing anything, you don't need anything. Okay. Yeah. Let me share a story with you, tell a story about two young ladies, single lady missionaries that were in Peru many years ago. Later on, we got to know one of them uh, personally. Jose Ruiz is one of our pastors. He's up in his 80s now. Uh, he had a stroke a, a couple of years ago now. The last time I talked to him on the telephone, I could understand him. He's recuperated, and he's still in charge of the church uh, that's over in Villarica, over in the jungle. Uh, Jose received, uh, well, well he, first he was born on, on an hacienda in the central uh, jungle, the high jungle, just across the Andes on the other side near the town of San Ramon. He came to Lima to, to live and to work. Uh, he saved his money, and he was able to buy a, a truck, what I call a farm truck, a big truck. Uh, he would haul cargo from Lima to the jungle and from the jungle back to Lima. And in a shipping company office, he met over there in the edge of the jungle, he met Olga, an employee in the company. They hit it off very, very well. There was a mutual attraction there. He always said that she had a chispa, she had a spark about her. He was a reserved sort of fellow, he still is. Uh, she, was, uh, she had the gift of uh, sharing and talking. Uh, she had a chispa there. And after a while they were married and they moved to Lima. He was already, his, his, his sisters were already in one of our fellowship churches there. They got in church and they got a, and they got involved there in the church and he was doing real good with this truck he had bought a, a lot of commercial 
located lot, and he was going to start his own company of uh, uh, building material business. And he got involved in church, and God called him to preach. And he said, here am I, I'm ready to go. And he was over 40 by that time. He was over 40. Some people think that only the young people should be called, but there weren't any teenagers among the 12. I mean, yeah, there were no teenagers among the 12. Uh, they were mature people, and I see a few mature people here tonight, yeah, also. Uh, but, uh, but he got involved. He was, uh, the Lord called him. He was over 40 years of age. He came to Bible school. He sold the truck so he could go straight through full-time and study and get ready. He graduated, and he went to a small town in the jungle over, we call it Villa, Villa Rica, uh, a little church that had been started a few years earlier, and he had a great ministry there. He was there for uh, for 20 years. Uh, the other mission, the other pastor close by, his friend, uh, called those 20 years there the golden years of his ministry. There was an army base about a block in front of him, and this part of this was in the time of the real strong terrorist movement in Peru. Uh, but the, when they would have a special occasion, uh, a holiday, or some other kind of military day, uh, the commander of the base would have him have the Baptist preacher to come over and uh, they say, give a talk or, or say a prayer. And he was always invited to go over there. there was a, the, the town was big enough for a high school, and there was a nun in charge of the high school. It was a state high school. And uh, in Peru, they... Uh, the Part of the educational program is a course in religion, and the religion is Catholic Church. When we got there, 96% of the country said that they were Catholics. And so uh, the religion class was Catholic doctrine in the, in the schools, by high school. Well, the, the nun in charge of the school invited Jose to teach the religion course. He's a, it's a report that he had, and uh, he taught the religion course uh, he did not teach the Catholic doctrine. Just yeah, just yeah, okay. But he had a, he had a great ministry. And then Olga got sick, and they finally couldn't get any help. They resigned. He came to Lima. Uh, they stayed at the guest apartment at the seminary. Uh, Jose had two nephews that are medical doctors, good good doctors, and they began to try to find out what was wrong with uh, with their aunt Olga. And uh, they consulted with others. They, had, uh, they are well-known. And they could not find uh, anything, any solution for what she had. They were not sure. They thought that she had received a parasite while bathing and washing clothes in the river out behind their house. And her, uh, her tendons began to uh, pull her arms and her legs up, her hands up and uh, she could not move very well. And it went from bad to worse. While they were there and after they had been with the doctors, I, I bought, them, bought her a wheelchair. I remember the day I took it over and she cried and cried because she was having to give up the idea of walking uh, again. And, uh, but she finally settled into the wheelchair. After two years, there was no other help. There was nothing else they could do. He said, we need to be back in ministry. And the church at San Ramon was open at that time. And they went over there and took the church at San Ramon and started uh, working there. She would play the, the, the keyboard, uh, but her right, her right arm was not mobile. 
with her left hand, she would, she would pick up her arm, put it on the teclada, on the, on the keyboard, and she could still move her hands and she would pray for the song service uh, that, that way. Uh, she was dedicated uh, to the Lord. In San Ramon, Olga told me about being saved when she received the Lord. She lived in a, a small town on the Amazon River called Tierra Blanca, a white, white land, white dirt is what you would call, uh, call it. Uh, she lived in Tierra Blanca. Her father was the mayor uh, of the town. So they were pretty well off in that sense. And one day, two young single missionary ladies showed up in their town, and they, she, they started a Sunday school. Olga's father, the mayor, he didn't like it. He told them that they couldn't have a church there. Well, the ladies were ready for him. They carried around a, a book form of the Peruvian Constitution. The Peruvian Constitution gives you uh, re, uh, li religious liberty. Everyone has religious uh, liberty in, in Peru. The Constitution guarantees freedom of religion. And he wouldn't argue with them. Uh, he accepted. But he still didn't want Olga to go to the classes when she, she was a little girl. And so Olga, having been one that was uh, not to be uh, put down, she would climb out her window from her bedroom and go to the classes there. And Olga got saved uh, in that Sunday school. I was with Jose and Olga one weekend while they were in that, the second church in San Ramon. The same week, two men from uh, my wife's home church, who are directors of a prison ministry, uh, were coming back to Peru. Uh, they had brought a prison ministry team to Peru for 12 years, and we would get into the different penitentiaries uh, there and, and do a medical uh, program campaign, uh, give them Bibles, give them reading glasses, and we'd preach to them. And uh, they were... We counted 4,000 professions of faith in the penitentiaries during those four years. Well, these, these two men from their church uh, wanted to come back and see the Amazon River some. And they had met Benedicto, one of our students, uh, who is from the Amazon River. His father is pastor of a little church there, uh, just a, a half a mile off of the Amazon on a tributary that comes down out of the Andes. And they had met Benedicto, and they wanted to go see his his pueblo, his community. They wanted to see some more uh, of the Amazon. They brought their fishing poles just in case that way. Uh, and they were coming that same week that I'd been over to there with Jose and with Olga. Uh, I came from being with Jose and Olga. I drove across the Andes back to the house. The next day, I picked up Ken and Harold, the two fellows. They arrived the next morning. We flew to Iquitos, and we went six hours uh, down the Amazon River uh, in a, in a, with 150 horsepower avenue on the back of a good Samaritan boat that one of the missionaries had left there. And when we pulled into the tributary where uh, Benedicto's father was a pastor of the little church, uh, just as soon as we got off of the Amazon, there were three big, long dugout canoes in a row. They'd put them in a line, and they were fishing from the current coming down from the Andes, going out into the river. And they recognized us. They held up a fish, a big flat fish. I don't know what it good, but it tasted real good. We ate it for supper uh, that, that evening. And we went to the pastor's house, and it was, it was a picturesque place. It was a... Uh, 
the houses are on stilts. They have a lot of lumber, a lot of logs. Uh, they used a lot of the material there uh, in building the house. It had a, a real steep hatched roof so the water would run off fast and not soak in there uh, into the house. And they, the pastor received us warmly. His wife was, the missionaries had been going there for many years. Uh, ABW missionaries had that ministry for many years. She gave me a big old kiss on the side of the face, yeah. And uh, we went in, and it was a very warm welcome. And they had one light bulb up in the, the highest part of the, of the roof there, ceiling. Uh, and he said the government had installed a generator for the community, and everybody got one light bulb. He was so proud of that light bulb. He said, I never thought that I would have electricity in my house. This way, that one light bulb. And I started, I didn't start to tell him anything, but uh, that's how far back we were uh, in, in the woods. But we sat down and it was starting to get late and uh, had that light bulb on. It didn't produce a lot, of, a lot of light. And he began to talk. We talked a little bit. And then he began to talk to us about when he received the Lord, when he got saved. And he was sitting over in the corner, and it was getting dark. I could barely see him there. And he said, when I was a little boy, two single missionary ladies came to their community and started a Sunday school. <laughs> and it grew, and it became a church and a pastor. A young man came out from the Bible school to pastor that. And in that Sunday school, uh, he got saved. This pastor got saved there. He said, and then one day, uh, the missionary ladies came and they said, we're leaving. We're going to go to another community and we're going to start another Sunday school. And they said, we're going to a place called Tierra Blanca. Tierra Blanca. I said, what? They're going to Tierra Blanca. Tierra Blanca was, where, was Olga's community. And she, told, she had told us about the two missionary ladies that came and started a Sunday school there, and she got saved. I had just come four days before I was with Olga and, and with Jose, 400 miles south where he's pastoring a church. I catch a flight, come all the way up here in the jungle, six hours down the, uh, down the Amazon, and, and here's more fruit of the ministry of those two missionary ladies. And we had two kids Saved in Sunday school, their full-time ministry, their pastoral ministry on the Amazon River. And those churches are going on today, Amen. are going on today. Amen. And I think anybody can teach a Sunday school lesson. Anybody. If you have to do like me and write it down and read it, you can still teach a Sunday school lesson. And there's a lot of places you could go to. If you'd go and say, we're starting a Sunday school, that's not in Dallas-Fort Worth. But you come to my house, and I'll show you some places. Yeah. I'll show you some places. And I'll take you over to the Amazon River if you'd like to go, if you're interested in teaching a Sunday school class. Yeah. Teaching a Sunday school class. We have five graduates from the seminary in the city of Iquitos, the main jungle city of 400,000 people there. Uh, they'd love to have some help. Uh, Jairo has started 
three churches, his main church, and then two churches off. The, second, the third one is on the bank that's 30 minutes down the river on public transportation on the bluff overlooking the Amazon there. Uh, they, they bought a lot there. There were some believers. It's a community, a little town. They go back and forth into town to work and to buy and so forth. And uh, they've started the church right there. And there's just so many other places you can start a church, even though there's been churches there for more than 50 years. And there's a need. And there's a whole lot of kids that would go to a Sunday school and listen to a lesson if somebody came and talked to them. And then there's a lot, a lot of big people that would go to a Sunday school class and listen to the Word of God if somebody came and talked to them about it. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Father, I pray, God, that you'd help us, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon us, God, and there's, there's a need. You said the fields are white already unto harvest, and uh, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd please send uh, people into the harvest, Lord, to reap that harvest. Lord, there's a need for missionaries that people would just go, and Lord, perhaps there's someone here tonight, God, whose heart has been touched, Lord, just... Uh, Lord, to, to go, just to give way. And if we'll just allow you to be the lead in our life, Lord, there's no telling what you'll do for us and through us. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us. And, God, I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd give this invitation, Lord, here for just a moment. And, God, that we'll just give way and, Lord, allow you to speak to our hearts in that still small voice. Thank you for Brother Williams, Lord. What a great ministry, Lord, he's, he has. Uh, Lord, there's a lot of churches that have been started as a result of him being willing to go. And I pray, God, tonight that you'd please help us, Lord, again, to, if we don't go, if you, if you haven't called us, God, may we be involved in faith-promised missions, Lord, so that we can send more men just like this uh, out into the highways and hedges, Lord, that they might teach people about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us. And, God, for the next few minutes, I pray that, Lord, we'll just be still and allow you to speak to our hearts. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and while Brother Shelton just sings a, a verse of invitation.